0: Warning, bros don't let bros uncritically replicate patriarchal gender dynamics.
1: We now go to Wrong and Sons Auto Body Shop, where Papa Wrong and his only child, his adult son, Thomas Peterson Wrong, are working together to fix a customer's car. Can you hand me that wrench there,
0: son, and watch the camshaft. You don't want to knock that. Yeah, Yeah, here you go. Oh, thanks. I
1: love fixing cars with you, Dad. You know you're my son, but I feel like you're also my bro. It's a privilege to have you as my bro, Dad. This is the place where you put in the oil, right? I, yeah. I just, okay, And that, are these wheels good, or they need to be replaced?
0: It wasn't the wheels. They said there was a clicking sound, so, you know, that would come from the CV axle or the joint. Could just be the boot, but we'll take a look at that. The boots look pretty
1: good, so. You know, Dad, I think there's three things I love in this world. There's fixing cars with my dad, number one. Number two, fixing cars, full stop. And number three, smashing patriarchy. Son, could not be more proud. I always taught you to respect women. Mm -hmm. You just make me proud. Another thing I remember you teaching me is about a paper in the Journal of Language and Social Psychology where they took 20 women and 20 men and put them into pairs and recorded and analyzed their conversations. And they found a clear tendency for both men and women to interrupt women more often than men. When you taught me that, I was like, whoa, is there any more evidence to reflect some sort of like broader pattern in society, Dad? And you said, yes, son. And then you told me about a 2012 study by the Op Ed Project that found women write only 20% of newspaper opinion pieces, 33% of online opinion pieces, and 38% of college opinion pieces. And then you asked, son, women are half of the people in society. Why are the opinions of men? Privileged so heavily in opinion columns. It's a four to one ratio in newspapers, son. What could possibly explain that? And I said, Dad, I don't know. Do you have any other evidence that might be able to help me piece this together? And you said, yes, son, I have a study from the researchers at New York University, University of Pennsylvania, and the University of Haifa in Israel, and they used census data from 1950 to 2000 to determine that when women move into male-dominated fields, the wages of those fields go down, even after you control for education, work experience, skills, race, and geography. And I was like, Dad, this seems like there's a systemic problem there. And you said that patriarchal is also a set of social expectations that's put on to women and men in society where men are expected to never cry. And women are expected to be passive, meek, submissive, and do unpaid cyclical domestic labor their entire life. Thank you for reminding me. That
0: was a great conversation. You taught me
1: a lot in a and, short
0: period of time there, Dad. Yeah, and you really retained... You got a great memory, kid. I don't know where you get it. It must be from your mom. It's not, it's not <laughs> she's from got. Me.
1: She's got a great memory too. That's for sure. Another thing that you mentioned was that in North America, a woman's right to own property was only established in some states in the mid to late 1800s. But they'd rarely be able to actually control the property they owned. It originally served as a stopgap for like widows but the full right to own property as a woman didn't come until much later.
0: Yeah, I remember when my dad told me that when I was just a teen, and you know, I couldn't believe it, I was telling all my bros about it. You know, we were growing up in the 60s, like, why doesn't society have the same opportunities available for people of any sex or gender expression again? I don't know, didn't make make sense in the 60s, doesn't make sense now.
1: Why should it be that the people disproportionately in positions of power across the board are almost always men. Why should it be that 75% of airtime at business meetings are taken up by men? Women are treated as having their voice not be welcome. And then also systemically, like what we do to mothers especially, like this idea that you're a horrible person if you don't want to spend 24-7 with a child all the time, like that there's no community element. And then if women don't want to have children, we act like they're crazy or weird. It's like, don't you want a permanent response? A bit? No, I'm getting worked up, Dad. I think I need to get my mind off of this stuff with a little bit more learning about cars. So what does this part of the car do? That is the structure that encloses
0: the spark plug. So that's actually good. Let's open this up. We'll take a look at the spark plugs. Uh, That wrench there. So you just turn this and you pull that up and see that part there? That's That means it's good. These spark plugs, they got another 30,000 kilometers in them. Don't worry about it. We'll put them back in. Do you want to head out back and have a smoke before we put all this back together and then uh, finish off our day? Sure. I love to have cigarettes with my dad. It's just time to you know, bro out with your son, have a smoke, share, fixing cars. You taught me against patriarchy, you taught me about cars, and you also taught me about the value of a good cigarette. It may not be great for your health, but it is great in a
1: lot of other ways. <laughs> C-
0: cigarettes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is proudly brought to you by cigarettes. You know, if you're already addicted to them, they help you relax. If you're not yet addicted to them, it's sort of a challenge to see what it's all about and just keep yeah, get on. Past get that get past that initial
0: nausea. and Keep smoking. The nausea and spinny feeling goes away and eventually you just start to crave them and then you feel good when you smoke them. <laughs> uh, cigarettes, proud sponsor of Seriously Wrong. Really sharper already than nicotine. Say what you will about tobacco products costs, health effects, this moment, this bonding moment worth it all to me.
1: This is brochalism.
0: So, today on the show, you got an interview about brochalism.
1: Yes, got a really exciting and good
0: interview with friends. The political platform she outlines here is I'm on board 100%. This the, is The argument's solid. Definitely. And like, I don't know if I'm always going to identify as a brochure list against patriarchy because, you know, contextual identifications and when it would be beneficial and when it wouldn't. But she really convinced me.
1: Well, without further ado, let's pull down the projector screen. You have the old timey film,
0: right? Yeah, I spent a lot of time physically cutting the film and then taping the parts together that we needed to cut out. So perfect. It's all edited. The film's ready to go. I'm going to flick the projector on see what franz has to say let's cool it. flick it on
1: today on the show we have franz who is the founder of an exciting new leftist tendency that's really blowing up right now, now this is a huge tendency and it's, it's going to be quite important it's called brocheless against patriarchy it's a pleasure to have you on the show franz thanks for coming.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm just so pumped to be getting the word out there, the gospel about brochalists against patriarchy.
1: So, what is brochalists against patriarchy? How did it start and why is it important?
2: Well, it really came out of simultaneously a reaction to patriarchal brochalism on one hand and really toxic anti brochalist leftism. On the other so hand,
1: you're coming here saying that brocialism is good. And right, some of right, your right. critics have said that bro is an inherently exclusionary term. So in your view, is bro gendered or is it neutral?
2: I think that's a really important consideration. We live in a society where bro is a very gendered term, right? And, uh-huh. and part of being a brocialist against patriarchy is fighting against that categorization, that tendency to treat bro as an exclusionary category.
1: But what if someone says, like, I don't want to be a bro, like you're imposing bro onto me. You're calling me a bro when I don't feel like a bro and I don't want to be a bro.
2: Right. So there's been instances where I will, you know, self-identify as a bro and say, you know, I'm a woman and a bro. And I think that's OK. And people will respond to me and say, like, oh, well, bro is gendered. You can't call yourself that. And on one hand, I'm like, I totally feel you. Like for a lot of people, bro does have these gendered connotations. And it feels like something they can embody or they don't want to embody or that's potentially even forced upon them that they don't want to have. But I'm saying to tell women, no, you can't be a bro is also harmful. And so by, you know, expanding the realm of broness and what being a bro can be, we're trying to make it more inclusionary, but also not mandatory. You know, no one has to be a bro, but no one should also be excluded from being a bro because of their gender.
1: Okay, So being a bro, is that a set of behaviors as an ideology?
2: To get down to like what a bro really is, I think it's many faceted and we're also trying to expand the realm of what being a bro is because, uh-huh. you know, when I say bro, like people are going to have different connotations that come into their mind, right? Like a lot of women have negative associations with what it means to be a bro or, or hang out with bros because they're oftentimes like sexist and rowdy and like don't take other people's feelings into consideration. Uh-huh. What I'm saying is like, but there are inherently liberatory aspects of the bro community that we can tap into while moving past you know the more harmful and toxic ones so some of those positive aspects that i would include are you know just hanging out with your bros being affirming like shotgunning beers watching sports and then when you know your bro shotguns a beer particularly well you give him a fucking fist bump and you say bro nice and it's about supporting your bros in their endeavors like if your bro's into someone and he's like damn, I just got this girl's number. What do I do? You support him and say like, bro, I'll walk you through this. I know you're nervous about your romantic and sexual endeavors, but I'm here for you. So, you know, taking the kind of typical conception of of bros being rowdy and playful and like being able to just like kind of goof around with each other and reinserting these supportive aspects, you know, and using it as a shared experience to build up positive and affirming communities around Mm -hmm. friendship. And around traits that are often typically considered masculine, but which we think should be available to the whole range of human beings and not limited to certain genders.
1: When I think of historic brocialism and and Mm -hmm. the way that it's referred to often online, it's accused of being class essentialist, Mm -hmm. downplaying identity categories beyond class. And there's sort Mm -hmm. of like this classic internet conflict around this sort of critique of brocialism and the brocialist critique of social justice. Right.
2: I mean, I, I think this is really the dialectical history of the emergence of the brocialist against patriarchy tendency. I was used to operating in these online spaces where I would critique a set of politics that is very prominent on the left right now that really downplays or underemphasizes like the centrality of class on all of these other types of oppression and Mm -hmm. you know by bringing my critiques up I was often immediately written off as some like cishet white man like didn't know what he was talking about and Mm -hmm.
1: then because your name is friends and your profile picture is of a cartoon animal
2: right (laughs) (laughs) and so like my gender isn't obvious and on top of that there's this phenomenon on the internet where everyone's just assumed to be a man unless like explicitly said otherwise. And so when I would respond, it's like, actually, like I'm a woman. These are my perspectives. These are my personal experiences with misogyny. People just wouldn't know how to react to that. And I'd be called an anti-feminist and I'd be like, no, I'm like very dedicated to feminism. Like that's an incredibly important part of my personal political Ideology and political opinions and so having these leftist spaces that are so wrapped up in purity politics and like standpoint epistemology where you know if I'm holding these certain identity positions like having to have these opinions and always having to defer to people based on those subject positions as opposed to like actually responding to what the content that they're saying I got I just got really fed up with that. And so I was like, well, where else can I go? And so I was kind of drawn into these more like edgy, problematic, anti-PC kind of Facebook spaces where it's like, yeah, we can like make edgy jokes and we can be funny and we can engage rationally in debate. But then, you know, in these spaces, I experienced misogyny, like just straight up misogyny and like trying to bring it up. People would say, oh, you're just an SHW. Oh, you're not centering class, blah blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, both of these scenarios yeah. suck.
1: Okay, calling out misogyny in interpersonal context is downplaying class, talking about legitimate mistreatment <laughs> of other human beings. Mm. <laughs> So and that's where the against patriarchy comes right. in. So within the process of the development of this cot new just getting off the ground but blowing up mm-hmm. factional identity within politics, brocialists against patriarchy, there's sort of both critiques mm-hmm. are being synthesized.
2: Oh definitely. I would definitely describe it as a dialectical synthesis of these historical internet leftist tendencies well
1: why should bros be against patriarchy so there's these elements of bro culture that could be emancipatory and Mm. need to be reclaimed and then at the same time we're against patriarchy how do we bring the against patriarchy to the bros
2: first we need to make the bro form available to women right and if our bro spaces and our bro communities; those are bro communities are Mm. you know overly patriarchal overly downplaying of women's issues or women's experiences then like we're not creating a, a welcoming bro environment like when i was talking about the positive aspects of being a bro earlier like you should be able to bro down with your women friends and your women bros and if you're being sexist that's never gonna happen and i think it has a lot to do with widening the conception of humanity and viewing women fundamentally as as human beings in a complete sense and recognizing the experiences of other people that you can't personally have and really trying to break down when you're acting in a certain way towards other people, like what is the experience on the other side and trying to empathize with that in order to like truly be the best bro you can be Hmm. so it's a bro
1: to all and a bro
2: to all that's what it is like how do you act in a way where you can be a bro to all not just like some small subset of humanity but really universalist brodom
0: and now we go to the brocialists against patriarchy theory corner where our resident expert will analyze various aspects of capitalism in light of brocialist against
1: patriarchy theory. So there's this idea under neoliberalism that the market sort of regulates itself. Mm -hmm, Right. How do bros feel about that?
2: (laughs) I think looking historically at the development of capitalist markets, they were a rejection of previously existing markets, which were typically very local, periodic rather than institutionalized and operated on a basis of selling for need and not making more of a profit than you deserve based on the amount of labor that went into this product you created. And with the development of capitalism, those types of markets were very inhibiting to the expansion of this class-based system. And so there is the formation of these markets that are like all-encompassing and have to subsume every single one of our social relations. And so now we are trained to relate to each other through the market as like our primary social relation. And I think like building non-commodified social relationships through supporting one another and providing each other with the things that we need. And that can be, you know, as broad as like cooking your bro dinner one night or or providing him emotional support or or whatever. Bumming him cigs. Yeah, exactly. Cigarettes are part of the irreducible minimum that we can expect to receive from our bros.
0: I got to admit... I love this. Like, the way that she isolates the wholesome positive, affirming, emancipatory potential of bro culture is just like, yeah, that, that so matches my experience of hanging out with bros and why it's a nice, positive thing. And it feels so much more true to like what I think of as my bros than, I don't know, frat houses and like really fucked up bro culture that exists. But like, yeah, zeroing in on the wholesome aspects of it and saying, Let's open that up to everyone and let's amplify that and use it in the struggle against patriarchy is, I can't praise it enough.
1: And I think really consciously bringing in that wholesomeness, because like I think we have a, a sort of tendency to think really in black and white about things that judge something by its worst features rather than, you know, isolate those features and figure out how to confront those features head on. Yeah. So like the patriarchy within bro culture... Is the problem. So if you're a bro against patriarchy, just completely
0: deconstructs, like neuters the bad part of bro culture by saying it's against patriarchy. So, what's left in broness after you say these are bros against patriarchy? And yeah, it's all these positive things playfulness, friendship, rowdiness. I loved that her first example for positive bro culture was if your bro shotguns a beer particularly well, you give him a fist bump and say, nice, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And who doesn't like to get a little rowdy now and then? I mean, not saying that everyone has to get rowdy every now and then, but for a great number of us, you know, getting a little rowdy, getting a little wild Mm. with your bros, getting a little.
0: Or even if you're not like outgoing enough to get rowdy, seeing some of your other bros getting rowdy sometimes can be fun. Mm. Can be a real treasure to see your bros get rowdy. And now it's time for a brand new segment on the show called What Does That Mean? So this is a segment where we explain what something means. And earlier in the episode, Franz mentioned standpoint epistemology. And we thought, you know, some people might need a bit of an explanation on that one.
1: It's a lot of syllables there all at once. Yeah, two big words right beside each other. Let's crack open this nut,
0: shall we? Can't wait. So epistemology has to do with a theory of knowledge, where you think knowledge comes from, what makes knowledge valid, justifiable, and true. And standpoint in this instance is talking about someone's uh, subject's position in the world. Mm-hmm. Their positionality. My positionality is a gay, white man. There's other relevant vectors to list. I'm not going to list them all. Standpoint epistemology is that I have access to some knowledge about what it's like to be a gay man that Sean doesn't because he's not one.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's been sort of a historical exclusion for marginalized groups from the process of generating what's accepted as true knowledge about the world. So the steel man of it is the idea that these historically excluded voices should be included in the process and that historical claims of objectivity that have excluded them should be scrutinized in light of these new perspectives. For example, historically, with scientists all being men studying women's bodies, they sometimes jump to some like weird conclusions or like didn't mm, do really yeah. basics. That like the full shape of the clitoris was first published in like the nineties, like the nineteen nineties, the full internal shape <laughs> yeah, of the clitoris. It's, it's
0: so great. It's just like they're mapping out all the organs and like dissecting bodies hundreds of years ago, like figuring this shit out.
1: nobody was like oh that's an important thing to know we dropped space jam first space jam first (laughs) internal shape of the clitoris second
0: And so there's obviously a lot valid with standpoint epistemology. There's also a critique that I think has a lot to do with how it presents itself in discussion
1: sometimes. It's like an identity reductionism, right? Where the idea of truth is generated by subject position, by positionality. Yeah. Sean doesn't have Sean's
0: opinions. Sean has straight man opinions.
1: Yeah, and then there's sort of the implication, like, if you have a black trans woman and a straight white man, you have to defer to the trans black woman even if she says something that's factually incorrect. That's sort of, like, the implication that sometimes people read from it. And I think it's one of the things that gets criticized is to say, like... No, I actually think not just the sort of form of the person who's expressing the idea matters, but also the content of the ideas themselves. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because I secretly hate
0: black trans women, but like this study that they mentioned has been criticized for these reasons. That's like, it's just a fact that these criticisms exist. I think we should talk about them.
1: But then to be fair, also on the other side of someone who's advocating for a sort of standpoint epistemology approach, the majority of the time they aren't going to say, "Okay, well, we should listen to Milo Yiannopoulos on gay issues because he's gay. They just... Without saying it out loud, they editorialize who they amplify. Yeah, and I think that's just an inherent part of amplification because you can't just literally amplify everything you hear or amplify only based on someone's positionality. Because again, like, how do you decide who the black voice is? How do you decide who the woman's voice is? Well, you go with your pre-existing sort of preferences about what ideas are correct.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you amplify yeah. the <laughs>
1: ideas you think are. Cre- that's just what we do, and we don't usually talk about it. But I don't think it's malicious or something. It's just structurally. You have to editorialize amplification. So I feel like there are some fair critiques about the overuse of the identity reductionist approach to truth. At the same time, I feel like a lot of the people who could be potentially accused of that are reflexive around some of the issues where there is critique as well. Yeah, I can come up with
0: bad examples of people using standpoint epistemology. I can come up with bad examples of people not recognizing the way their standpoint is limiting their ideas. It's a dialectic, and we'll we'll get to the synthesis soon. Not on this show, but as a society, we'll get to the
1: synthesis soon. Oh, yeah, we totally got it. Now back to the interview. Back to it. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by all-natural apricot deodorant for bros.
2: Are you tired by being limited to buying deodorant at the grocery store that's labeled for men?
1: I don't want to smell like an ocean wave. I don't want to smell like Night Mystique. I don't want to smell like Thunder Jungle. I want to smell like fruit.
2: Well, now you can smell like apricot strawberry.
1: I love the smell of fruit, and I love to smell like fruit in my antiperspirant.
2: And that doesn't make you any less of a man or any less of a bro.
1: Thank you so much. I really need this reminder because I felt so pressured to be like some sort of synthetic space goo scent. Thank you.
2: You can smell like apricot strawberry by buying deodorant for bros.
0: And now we return to another segment of Brocialists Against Patriarchy, Anti-Capitalist Bro Theory with Franz.
1: One of the features that's criticized of capitalism is the violent enforcement of property mm. relations. And I wonder if there's a brocialist view on this element of capitalism. Yeah,
2: I mean, property relations are fundamentally about creating in-groups and out-groups and people that have access to the means of production and the means of subsistence and, and bros that don't. And, you know, those bros that don't really need to be, like, coming together to counter this you know, exclusion from the means of existence and, and having access to basic necessities like food, water, shelter, and cigarettes. Mm-hmm.
1: In the sort of like brooch spaces where you experience discrimination based on gender, casual misogyny is humor, it's obvious who they're not being a bro to there. They're mm-hmm. they're not being a bro to fifty percent of the population women.
2: Women and non-binary people, gender non-conforming people. Absolutely. I think that really plays into the other argument against patriarchy and the bro movement is recognizing the ways in which patriarchy is harmful to men as well, right? The way that it's like inherently limiting the ways in which men are expected to fulfill these very like specific masculine roles and are bounded in like the ways that they're able to act and relate to each other and be, you know, empathetic, caring people to their bros and to all of humanity. And I think that's something that isn't recognized on a lot of the left. And I'm not trying to center men's issues by any means here. (laughs) But there is this kind of conception of the way people are is the way that they're always going to be. And if someone says something problematic or comes from a background where they don't fully understand critiques of patriarchy or they act in ways that are accidentally harmful, they're immediately written off. Right. You create this rigid hierarchy based on like who knows how to act and operate within these political milieus of not being problematic or or being PC and I'm not against PC culture in the sense that I'm against like being nice to all people and not like discriminating against people or using language that is alienating but you know anti-PC culture in the sense that it's a very shallow analysis of discrimination and by only like policing people's language you're not fundamentally changing the way they're interacting with people and so like learning to address people that are being problematic, not in this like silencing kind of way, but like being a bro to them.
1: You've said in the past that the left isn't being a bro to all.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the left needs to be a bro to all people and say like, you know, you're welcome in these spaces, you may not be perfect, but we want you to be better for your own sake, in part, you know, we Mm. want to affirm you and make you a better person, you know, for the good of all.
1: What what comes to mind is like, there's some challenges to that, some pretty seemingly intractable challenges when Mm. it comes to the integration of people, because the types of things that get people removed from communities are on a spectrum from like, say, having Bad ideas or making edgy jokes, but Mm -hmm. then also to violating people's boundaries in real ways or repeated inappropriate behavior. And I see this get sort of lumped up around brocialism. Mm -hmm. And I've always I understand why it correlates. (laughs) I understand why 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 it correlates. But an analysis that centers class is within the spectrum of acceptable opinion, Mm -hmm. whereas like treating other people as if they're you know to be acted upon rather than agents is not. So you just spoke about like not excluding people, but Mm -hmm. like how do do you have a, a sort of theory of where the lines are on that
2: yeah i mean it's hard for me to say exactly what those lines are you know what i mean and i think that's kind of inherently the problem with this is that we're constantly trying to like draw these boxes and say like this is good this is bad and like this is how you should operate in all circumstances and if you step over the line oftentimes unspoken lines right like these things aren't always made clear then you're like excommunicated and like i think instead of like drawing these lines in the sand Trying to engage with people in good faith and see like where they're actually coming from and, you know, being honest about the ways in which you think they're being harmful. And if you're really being a bro about it, you know what I mean? If you're doing it out of like the best interest of making them a better person and reducing the potential harm they do on other people and you're able to have like a fruitful conversation where this person over time becomes less interpersonally misogynistic or racist, then that's ideal. Whereas, you know, someone saying something problematic and you immediately writing them off and saying, oh, well, you know, you're just you know, some brochure list that's never going to learn, then of course, they're never going to learn because you're not engaging with them. But on the other hand, you bring up the spectrum, and some people aren't willing to engage in good faith, right? Mm-hmm. And there should be a clear distinction between people that are, you know, problematic, because they're the result of a problematic society, but are legitimately like caring people that would never like intentionally try and like exclude or marginalize someone like there's a clear distinction between that person and someone that's repeatedly shown to be you know an abusive or manipulative person, and I think the the scary thing is is those types of like manipulative abusive people actually really thrive in a lot of the um toxic sort of exclusionary political purists
1: like the spaces that are like full of rote rules. Yeah, definitely. Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, my name is Zane.
2: Oh, nice to meet you, Zane. I'm Veronica.
1: Cool, yeah, thanks for bringing me in to um, let me, let, letting me work with the collective. I'm actually off work right now. Mm. Oh, I yeah? do seasonal stuff, but I've got a lot of web design skills, mm. quite a bit of organizing experience, and I've got an access to a big network. I'm really hoping to bring it into this project, and I think we can really just like achieve a lot and do what's right
2: yeah that's that's really great we always need more people to get involved and help out in this work that's just you know so important Agreed. it's always great to have new people did you um so make big. sure to put your contact information on our sign up sheet
1: oh yeah yeah when i came in yeah i was talking to tom oh, tom right, was tom. super nice super cool guy yeah I, super gay though
2: he's what now I, I didn't quite catch that
1: oh he's just i don't mean anything by it
2: he's gay is that what you said yeah well, well, well like what what do you mean by that
1: his shirt says bash cops suck dick
2: is there a problem with that?
1: No, no, not at all. I just thought it was, and he's kind of flamboyant, sort oh, fla- of out what are you, and, 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 and like very, very out.
2: Out of the closet? Is that what you're dancing around right now? No, well, and I, his I mean, demeanor,
1: like the way that he behaves, I actually find it really refreshing. I come from a conservative sort of community, so it's, so it's, like
2: gay people can't be conservative. No, no, no,
1: no. no. I'm just, statistic. I mean, my experience. I've I a lot of people with the
2: Clearly, we're talking about Tom's experiences of being outed right now as somehow you know sucking dick makes him gay, and you're telling me about this and trying to center your experience with that right now? No,
1: you know what? You're absolutely right. I want to take this as a learning experience. I appreciate you showing up for this and I want to take a step back.
2: You want to take a step back? I want to take, a, a want to take, back? A, take okay. up less space. I actually really need to address that with you right I now. I just want to take up um, less no, space. No, stepping and- back we've realized as a collective is language that is harmful and alienating to our disabled comrades and the fact oh, that you like are still using that so language sorry. when we decided this like I'm a whole so week ago so that's the, pretty
1: what's the new language like, well, what should I, I use instead
2: that's really not the point right now I think you're trying to like change the subject no, no, on I, me I'm really trying to like make you address I want uh, to learn I'm here to help and you're, learn and yeah, you improve wanna... and
1: I I've totally absolutely deserve this critique
2: okay now, well, now you're just self victimizing but you want to learn from me like, you're expecting me to educate you. And I have, you know, spent the last however long I've been talking to you doing this rather than, you know, oh, engaging in self-care or, you know, doing productive organizing work. This is just a lot I of just, emotional labor that people help. like me are expected to go through all the time. And you're just really entitled to it.
1: You're right. And it's something too often I'm blind to. And I, blind to. Oh,
2: there you go again with the alienated language.
1: It's something I so often that my privilege prevents me from can i have one minute to think about this <laughs> no please? no
2: actually you're being billed for this right now so i'm
1: being can, billed yeah
2: but, i mean i'll be sending you an invoice through paypal later so you can take a minute but you're being charged for it
1: so yeah I, are we i
2: actually think i have to be done talking to you right now but i'll see you at the next meeting you're coming back right you got our contact information
1: yeah yeah definitely i put it on the sign up sheet thanks for doing the great work you do
2: yeah of course
1: Welcome back to Bro Corner. We're going to be analyzing what exactly just went down there. It was not pretty on the field today. Veronica and Zane, this was a rough shot.
2: Some major fumbles coming from both sides in this interaction.
1: Now, you can see here as Zane comes into the room and signs up the sign up sheet, he is fresh faced. He is looking to help. He has got skills and his early interaction with Tom went smooth as can be. Now, look at this. Now, Tom has put his hand on Zane's shoulder and they've got a personal connection. This is fruitful.
2: There is so much potentiality in this initial dynamic for a new member to come into this organization and... Contribute so many valuable skills and really increase the potential of this organization.
1: Then as Zane enters the general meeting room and begins to speak to Veronica.
2: First major fumble right here.
1: Goes right off the rails early on. After a promising start, Zane said that Tom is, quote, super gay.
2: Strange thing to say about someone you just met
1: it's not appropriate. And that is where things get wildly out of control. Now, a good goalsman, a good defense person on the field can recover from something like this. But Veronica... She did
2: not have her head in the game. There's the constant moving of goalposts. You can't interact with your bros on a level playing field when you're changing the rules and when the social dynamics are not made clear in these situations. And
1: while Veronica's critique started off fair they veered into the massively incoherent over the first couple interactions we're going to go to the epic bro replay which is brought to you by Spensworth brand bro chips available in both original and new intersectional this instant bro replay is going to show the exact moment that Zane realized he wasn't coming back
2: Clearly, we're talking about Tom's experiences of being outed right now as somehow, you know, sucking dick makes him gay.
1: Sad day on the field today. Not Veronica's best work, although we have seen some incredible work out of them over the last couple weeks. This is totally out of character for them. Normally,
2: you know, star player VIP gets out there, organizes the masses. But she was coming at it all wrong today.
0: Oh, I'm just going to have to stop you guys right there. I'm just looking at my watch and it seems like it's time for more Brocialists Against Patriarchy Bro Theory with friends.
1: In addition to all social relations being subsumed by the market, a sense of competition, which mm. I think oh, yeah. th- that seems almost like a bro thing. How do mm-hmm. brocialists address the sort of issue of competition and specifically sort of like capitalist competition and interpersonal competition, which is often considered to be part of like the mindset of capitalism?
2: Yeah, I mean I think there's this critique in leftism broadly of competition because of the market, because we're thinking about competition on this like economic scale. But I think part of brochalism is recognizing that interpersonal competition is not inherently wrong, right? It can be a form of play, it can be a form of community building, as long as it's within specific bounds and competition isn't determining whether or not you get to eat food that night. Oh yeah, right? like
1: re- wrestling with your bros <laughs> right. just, just for laughs is, is totally great, as long as everyone gets to split the barbecue.
2: Exactly. It's
1: not like you lost wrestling so you don't get any brews tonight. <laughs> you don't get any barbecue.
2: That's exactly it, yeah.
0: I was thinking about why I like this so much besides just this sort of emotional connection to being like, yeah, I I get that bro culture thing she's describing. That resonates with me. It's also reconstructive rather than destructive. Like instead of saying, let's destroy bro culture, it's saying, why does something exist? What good things is it serving? Let's keep serving those things and like a precision scalpel, cut out the diseased parts and then reinvent bro culture rather than burn it
1: to the ground. It's really important, I think, that we make sure to keep a reconstructive vision. Sometimes we can get caught up in a politics of like pure opposition Mm -hmm. um, or catharsis rather than organizing. The Brocialist Against Patriarchy Framing is just one tiny example one way of addressing what I think is a much larger problem, which is this hard opposition with no reconstruction.
0: I just love this strategy of remixing and reinventing. You know, the reason people are resistant to change and the the reason people value traditions is because that sense of continuity I think is comforting to people. And the other example I thought of that illustrates this dichotomy really well for me is gay marriage. Whereas like a lot of older queer activists were about like, you know, destroying this restrictive heteronormative patriarchal institution of marriage and like liberating ourselves from its constraints. And like I totally vibe with that vision. But the reason I really like the idea of gay marriage and of like queering marriage in various other ways, like other forms of humans committing themselves to each other in a ceremony of love. Like having a human ceremony of love and commitment is a good thing. The bad parts of marriage were that it was restricted to some people only and some types of love only. So this like reconstructing marriage in The image of what we want it to be maintains the benefit of the tradition and the link to the past, while also remixing and reinventing it in a way that's more socially just, in a way that people who have humanity and compassion for marginalized groups can get behind. And I just see it as this really positive way of bringing everybody in to something that was already working for some people. So, bro culture has things that work about it, things that are emancipatory, as she said. And, you know, we're updating it to be against patriarchy, to this universalist brodom, was another phrase she used that I just fucking love. It's great. Franz, you're amazing. Thank you for coming on our show. And now it is time once again for more Brocialists Against Patriarchy
1: Bro Theory with Franz. Let's delve in. So what would be the Brochelist take on the sort of hyper-individualistic mindset of mm. capitalism?
2: Well, I think Brochelism specifically is trying to break down that hyper-individualism, especially that exists amongst men you know i think men are constantly feeling the need to prove that they can be like strong mm-hmm. and independent and they don't need anyone else to take yeah, care there's of incredible them.
1: statistics about male loneliness and mm-hmm. suicide and and just lack of social connections in men's lives
2: definitely and I, I think that's you know example to bring it back we were talking earlier about the ways in which patriarchy negatively affects men and i think that's a huge one and so by being able to like grow down with someone but then also like care for them emotionally like i see both of those as Important aspects of broness that are fighting against that hyper individualism
1: so I want to go back and touch on this brocialist against patriarchy approach of a class centric politics but not a class reductionist politics like how, how do you distinguish that? why aren't you a class reductionist
2: right, so one of the biggest critiques that's thrown at you know the brochalist tendency more broadly, which encompasses the brocialists against patriarchy movement, is accusations of class reductionism. The only form of oppression or domination that you brochists care about is class, and that's inherently exclusionary to, you know, to women, to LGBT people, to people of color.
1: And I do wanna acknowledge I've met brochelists of this sort of patriarchal Mm brochelist tendency that use the focus on class as a way of not talking about experiences that they can't empathize with or something like that. And I've
2: definitely experienced that directly of sexism that I've faced being downplayed. But I think that this accusation of class reductionism is often overplayed and often straight up inaccurate, just in the sense that from my perspective, class is this really all-encompassing social dynamic that is, like, the primary lines on which our society is organized. You know, when you're talking about who gets access to food and water and shelter, when you're talking about who gets treated well and, you know, everything from an interpersonal level to much more, like, structural, political, and economic level, class is this really key distinguishing element in that. But it's not the only thing that matters. And there are actually a lot of ways in which you can tie an analysis of patriarchy and white supremacy to a politics rooted in class, but not reducible to class that is able to address racism and sexism in a much more holistic way by actually looking at the ways in which these systems of oppression are interconnected and mutually supporting each other.
1: But why put class at the center, like as opposed to Putting any of the other important mm. issues at the center,
2: right? Well, I mean, when we talk about privilege, for example, I think that can mean a lot of things, and it can mean a lot of nothing. <laughs> um, it's just a word that gets thrown around without a whole lot of analysis of what it is. But I think, like, a really central thing that people mean often when they say someone has privilege is just the statistical chance of someone being harmed, or statistical chance of someone, you know, being denied housing, or physically attacked, or, or you know, any of these various things. And that, like, ultimately, the factor that we're frequently ignoring in these discussions of privilege is class. I think in typical privilege discourse, class is very much underplayed in the ways in which someone that is, you know, maybe a a straight white man or whatever, who is like living in absolute poverty is actually worse off than a comfortable, like middle class woman of color, for example,
1: Like, so there's a trend that say like women of color are experiencing more oppression, Mm -hmm. but you can find examples that go against that because it's not like these aren't essentialist categories. These are Mm -hmm. tendencies that we can measure. Right.
2: You know, for example, women of color are statistically more likely to be, you know, poor or working class. And when we're talking about the statistical likelihood of being harmed, the main avenue through which these people are being harmed is by being poor. Right. Like I think, you know, a vast majority of violence and suffering that people face is due to like lack of access to material goods that are necessary for survival. And that's fundamentally a class based issue. And the ways in which gender and race inform class composition and experiences of class based like exploitation, and oppression should be talked about needs to be talked about, but it's not the only factor, is definitely a part of brocialism. Brocialism against patriarchy. Yeah,
1: least. very specifically. And I, <laughs> I I feel like now that I know the term brocialist against patriarchy, mm-hmm. it's going to liberate me from ever having to stand up for brocialism full stop. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. but, cause there always has been... This little feeling of like, well, but class is unique. And that, that isn't just because like a lot of my experience has been around class, mm. definitely partially like I'm more sensitive to it. But then also that class can be a massive amplifier to already existing disadvantages in other ways or like mm. the way that white supremacy was able to be maintained had a lot to do with differences in wealth and power.
2: And I think to further that, it's not even just that white supremacy and patriarchy are maintained by class, but if you look at the specific ways in which modern white supremacy and patriarchy developed historically, it very much is as a tool for maintaining class power, right? Like,
1: like women weren't able to be property owners. Right. And-,
2: and you see like in the development of capitalism, like it was necessary for this you know, factory wage system to develop in England because there was so much unpaid labor done in the household. And this like system of capitalism could have never developed without this particular labor relationship between men and women also developing. So in that sense, I see the development of modern patriarchy as very much being the development of a class system. Like I think there is a way to analyze gendered oppression as a form of class oppression and clearly it goes beyond that like there are cultural and political and other manifestations of sexism that aren't purely class based but if you can see that fundamental connection between the way in which class and modern gender relations developed they are very intertwined and there's like no way to separate them without losing tons of analysis of both of those forms of oppression.
1: And it's also like it's the part that's not being addressed when you have characters on a sitcom or whatever that are dipping into like wokeness. (laughs) Like they never dip deep enough into wokeness to say we should tax 30 billion dollars from Jeff Bezos to house all the homeless in America. (laughs) I've always been like really hesitant to do any sort of ranking and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
2: To some degree, the ranking of them is futile. You know, I think it's much more important to look at, like, the interconnections and the interrelationships between these various forms of oppression. It's not a simple, like, list of most important, second most, you know, least important. It's a very complicated diagram with lots of arrows and overlapping circles, and you might have to get three-dimensional with it, you know. But that's, you know, the (laughs) complexity of the real world.
1: And you advocate for brochalism to point out that the class part of the graph has a lot more arrows than people talk about.
2: Yeah, definitely. A lot more arrows than people talk about for sure. (laughs)
1: Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by the Brocialists Against Patriarchy web store, where we've got an incredible selection of fridge magnets and bumper stickers. This is some incredible stuff. Wow. Look stickers
0: at, and magnets? I'm in heaven. This design here, bros don't let bros defend patriarchy. Amazing. I can't wait to have that on the back of my car. Brochalism is the radical notion that humans are people so powerful it brings a tear to my eye honestly and this one's new in the web store well-behaved brochure lists rarely make history what's left to say at this point except take my money please i need these magnets and stickers the brochure against patriarchy
1: web store proud sponsor of today's seriously wrong podcast
0: Welcome to Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for letting me in your group. I just wanted to share this new framing. It's called class expansionism. I'm often criticized as being a class reductionist because I think that economics should be at the center of our analysis, not to the detriment of anything else, but it's sort of a framework that can make sense of everything cumulatively together in an intersectional context, centering class, but not reducing to class. And I'm really excited about this idea. I'm new here, any thoughts?
2: typical brocialist response to accusations of class reductionism. If everyone you know is telling you that you're a class reductionist, maybe it's true and you should not double down on these problematic behaviors.
0: Oh no, do we got another cis white weenie in here whining about how the fact that his rich parents only pays half of his rent means that he's quote-unquote oppressed by quote-unquote class? I'll let this thread play out for a bit, but my finger's hovering over that ban button.
1: I don't really want to talk about my positionality, bad security culture for me to go into too many details. If it helps you take my idea seriously, I'm not a cis white man. If I could just leave it at that, I'd really appreciate that.
2: Even if you're not a white man, you're clearly emulating white male perspectives. And I think that's really problematic.
1: I noticed from your profile picture and profile that you seem to be a cis white male. I don't understand how you can coherently be a person in these categories and then say this to someone that you have no category information about. It seems sort of dishonest or just strange.
2: Well, my girlfriend says that I need to use my privilege in order to educate other cis straight men. So that's exactly what I'm doing here.
1: So you're protecting women.
2: I'm trying to check all of the other problematic brochalists in this Facebook group.
1: And can I just say, he
0: does an excellent job of it. The women in this group have never been safer.
1: I'm part of Brocialists Against Patriarchy and part of the training documents they sent me was a warning about something called a Patriarch Against Brocialism. And one of the key features of that is aggressively standing up for women who haven't asked to be stood up for, especially in an abstract sense, targeting certain ideologies as some sort of inherent carrier of problematic interpersonal behaviors. Would you consider reading some of our literature? Because I think you have a lot of inner work to do.
2: Uh, Maude, obvious troll here. Please take out the trash and ban this scum.
1: Maude, I'm coming to you in good faith. I really, really resent the idea that I have to talk about my positionality in order to be taken seriously, but I'm a cisgender white woman, so, like, please don't ban me. Thanks.
2: Low-quality bait. Roll that beautiful gray name footage.
1: Don't
0: worry, the brochure list has been bounced out. Safety and order has been restored, and those cis white male opinions, gone. Out with the trash. Out of here. Adios. Sayonara. Gone. Am I right? I'm right. (laughs) Because I'm the mod. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. hey bros what's up it's aaron here and i just wanted to talk about something that's really important to me something that i love doing which is making this podcast so you might have noticed that the newer episodes have a lot more going on in them in terms of audio production sound effects tighter editing I love getting lost in finding the exact right song or just those beautiful little confluences that really elevates it. And it's a joy to do it. And because it's a joy to do it, I've been willing to sink a lot of time into it. Right now, Sean has a full time job and I don't. I just kind of grab shifts doing app based food delivery services. Uh, You know, sometimes I'm choosing to skip shifts when I should go do delivering to make enough money (laughs) to pay my rent and instead just spending another evening on the episode. I basically put full time hours into each one of these episodes to make it as special and awesome as I can. But spending that much time, it gets really tough sometimes. I get burnt out and I'm starting to feel burnt out. And I don't want to put less effort into the episodes because I love what we're doing so much. But the amount of effort I'm putting in along with everything else isn't sustainable in the long run. So if you want us to keep this up, if you want me to have some spare time again sometime eventually, If you're willing to make a recurring monthly contribution via Patreon or PayPal, it means the world to us. $2 a month, you get into the Beautiful Genius Garden. That's a Facebook group for donors. There's quite a bit of conversation going on in there now. It's a great space. If you choose to give $6 a month or more, you get access to the full archive of episodes to bonus episodes. You know, every once in a while we put one out that's just for patrons as a way to say thank you. We've received so much support already. It's humbling. It's incredibly encouraging because it means that people are vibing with what we're doing and that's just so satisfying. And, you know, bro to bro, we need your help with this because we want to keep the show going. We want to keep the quality strong, stronger, getting even better. And we want to create world peace, 10,000 years of world peace. If you can help us out, it would mean everything to us. What's that? Were you craving a little bit more Brochelists against patriarchy bro theory with France? Thought so.
1: I think another defining feature of capitalism is just the wage relationship where people are forced to work in order to survive. And without taking up some sort of paid labor, you're doomed to Mm. being truly impoverished in society due to a lack of revenue or a lack of income Right, is such a brutal condition. What's the brocialist take on on wage labor, wage relations?
2: (laughs) I think a big critique of liberal CEO Hillary Clinton feminism is there's this conception of wage labor as like the ultimate thing to aspire to you know we want to be paid equal amounts we want women not to just be single moms we want women to be empowered to like go out there and be a wage slave or whatever and I think brochureism is in a big part about critiquing that and saying like are the things that we're aspiring to actually liberatory or not and recognizing that The goal should be to liberate men and women from exploited labor of all kinds, rather than just bringing men and women into the same type of exploited labor regime, which we recognize as, like, you know, inherently destructive and hierarchical and negative to all the bros of the world.
0: (sighs) Where am I? Holy shit, bro, you're awake. You're in the hospital. Okay. It's the year 2027.
1: Holy shit. You've been in a coma. What? Oh, I was on my bike and the truck was passing me and, and, and. Yeah. Oh my God. What? Glad I was able to be
0: here for you, bro. I know this has got to be disorienting. Like 10 years. We have a woman president for the first time. Holy shit, Democrat, Republican? Oh, actually, third party candidates, the brocialists against patriarchy. Wait, wait isn't brocialists against patriarchy like a contradiction? Oh, yeah, for 2017, there's like, I don't know, I 10 years of bro-analysis to catch you up on, but you should have seen the night she was elected. There was bros celebrating in the streets, going fishing with their buds, playing capture the flag, patting each other on the back, creating new bro immunities, listening to different perspectives. It was a real bro bash, a lot of bro social behavior going on, and everyone's just feeling really bro optimistic right now, but it's not even the whole story. Like, I forgot the bro log where there was tons of bro tests. I'm probably overloading you with information. I don't mean to... uh, Are you hungry? Yeah, I think I could eat. Let's get you in this wheelchair. We'll head down to the cafeteria. Mm, I've been at this hospital a lot the past 10 years, and I know the best dishes, so I'm going to help you out with that, bro. Does extra cheesy macaroni still exist? (laughs) You bet. You bet That's all I need to know Some things never change Some things never change Thank God for that And thank God one of those things
1: isn't patriarchy Extra cheesy macaroni is permanent Patriarchy, on the other hand, is movable It's impermanent And it's something that if we work together, we can destroy Isn't that right? Bro, I missed you. I, I really miss, you too, miss bro. having well, you around. It's hard to describe what it's like to be in a coma.
0: It's, Does it feel like we just talked yesterday? Because we talked the not. day before your coma. Right. Okay. So you have some sense of time yeah, some passing. some weird
1: time passy huh. dream-ish. I don't know. I it's going to be sense. weird
0: to look at yourself in the mirror and see yourself 10 years older. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck. If you ever need a bro to talk to and work through the hairline issues, then don't
1: hesitate. I'm Holy here for you, bro. shit. 10 years. My God. In a coma. Do you think that the bro form is something that might need to be interrogated further or something that could be like inherently problematic? I'm sure there's tons of people that have had negative personal experiences with bro culture Mm -hmm. in a way that's really soured their view of being a bro using the word bro even.
2: I do think that those connotations of broness definitely exist and it's something we need to be aware of and cautious about because the problematic bros, you know, the sexist bros currently do kind of have a monopoly on the cultural understanding of what being a bro is, but that brocialists against patriarchy are really doing the hard work of like taking that back and not ceding this ground to them, right? Like I'm against this framework. That the left so often operates in is once, you know, our political adversaries start using a term or using mm-hmm. specific imagery, we have like to we, immediately. We
1: shouldn't use like an OK emoji right. anymore because <laughs> the OK emoji is used by white supremacists now. And it's like, oh, right. they, they took the OK symbol from us. We're no longer going to do OK symbols at each other.
2: Right. And like that's I think an, a very intentional tactic of the right to gain cultural hegemony is to be a parasite on like popular culture. Claim things. Yeah, claim Pepe. And so when we, as the left, just kind of roll over and say, well, okay, fine, that's a losing strategy. And we need to be fighting this culture war and saying like, no, there are things that the right is trying to claim that aren't inherently right-wing or aren't inherently harmful. And say the left can be fun, too. You know, the left can bro down. The left can make, you know, somewhat edgy jokes while still having a political vision that is, you know, emancipatory, egalitarian. These two things aren't incompatible.
1: So in the past, we've sort of brainstormed over the internet about different ways to create a political praxis that actually will work over Facebook Mm -hmm. or, like, we can use the time and energy that people are putting in Facebook towards productive ends. And there was one that we recently came up with, which is bar entryism like <laughs> yes. sports bar entryism so like maybe mediated by a facebook group where we're posting sort of like trip reports of what happened mm. and what tactics worked and what tactics didn't of like picking a day of the month maybe or just having it an ongoing thing but i think a day of the month is a good way to start to like get a community building around it where you go out in pods to bars you talk to strangers you sort of like bro down with them a bit and then mm. you start dripping in the politics you start trying <laughs> to radicalize them and then come back to the facebook group Come back to brochures against patriarchy and then say, like, you know, today I talked to this many people. Some of this went well this way. I found that this line worked, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Early on in this process, you describe this as like perfect <laughs> i I
2: think the left talks big game about, you know, radicalizing the masses and like getting out there and the working classes unite and like fight against capitalism. But so many of us just write off huge swaths of the population that aren't already radicalized or are problematic in that sense. And if we truly want to be like fighting a winning strategy, we do have to be engaging with all types of people. And, you know, your apolitical sports bar bros are part of the masses. And if we're just going to write them off as a whole group of people, we're never going to win. And so I think it's really about making the masses your problematic fave and saying, like, these people are worthwhile. These people do have the capacity to change. And if we are able to get lots of them on board, you know, not just the bros, but that's, you know, the particular demographic I'm targeting right now, then we can have the potential to win. But without that, we won't.
0: Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong podcast is brought to you by Bros calling out bros. Now, it's not a problem to want to give your bros the benefit of the doubt. That's just being a bro. But it does become a real problem when you get deaf to when your bros say something really messed up and unbroly. Bros calling out bros. Proud sponsor of Seriously Wrong. I think another reason that what Franz is doing seems like such a good idea to me, it's because of this fear I have surrounding this edgy culture on the right, pushing boundaries and just seeming very playful in a sense, whereas... There is this aspect of the left currently that very much acts as a sort of like shushing or no-no culture. And I just think of like adolescent teen boys and I think about which one of those two cultures is going to seem more attractive to them, which one's a more welcoming environment for young men. Because, like, I totally get why there's this culture of joking about male tears and kill all men. And I laugh at those things sometimes when they're done in a funny way. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a catharsis for women who have had negative experiences with men, which is a lot of women. But I think having this as part of the ecosystem of leftism as well is. A really smart move because if there's nothing here that's like holding a handout to young men and saying, come be leftists with us, it's just stupid strategy. (laughs) And I'm not saying the left doesn't have anything like that, but I'm saying that this is a really smart tactic going after a large cohort of people that we want on our side.
1: I think another important aspect of the brocialism that Franz is laying out, I think it's part of the existing bro culture, but it's something that's being emphasized and underlined in a way that's really effective. It's connected to the wholesomeness, is just the concept of bros as nurturing, that bros are supportive of each other, helping yeah. people each other reach their potential, giving your bro a, a beer or cigarette for free. This yeah, sort of like, yeah, it's something there's like a glimmer of that exists in bro culture,
0: but she's saying let's center that, let's use that to help men to form better communities and not just with men but with women as well. It's
1: really no wonder that this tendency is really catching fire and spreading across the nation no, 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 no! Hey, good to see you man. come here
2: God, uh, give me yeah, a hug good to see yeah, you, bro. big uh, lug fist <laughs> bump oh yeah bring it in.
1: Oh, fuck, man. Work's been rough lately. My fucking landlord's on my ass.
2: That sucks. I'm glad you could make it out to the bar tonight and just chill.
1: Well, fuck, man, my team's playing. You know I'm going to be out nachos with my boys.
2: Catch the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, these weekly meetups are a really enriching part of my life that really helps alleviate some of the feelings of alienation under capitalism.
1: Fuck man, it just like, honestly, it gets you through some tough times to have those rich social connections. Well, hey boys. Can I get you something to drink? Something to eat? Uh, yeah. Could I get a pint of, like, your best high alcohol content sour? Absolutely. Of course, sweetie. Awesome. Thanks. And I think we're both going to get nachos, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Nachos on.
1: Oh, Bro.
2: bro, it's okay. I love to do it.
1: Oh, that is just too
0: sweet. You two are sweetie pies. Can I get you something to
2: drink? I'm good on the beer. I'm actually uh, the designated driver tonight, so I just want to make sure you know I'm keeping my bros safe. You know, I don't have to have beer to have fun.
1: Really respect that. Really respect that, bro.
2: I'm really grateful that you know part of our dynamic has never been you know a judgmental attitude towards you know choosing or not choosing to drink alcohol.
1: Yeah. Also, bro, like crucially modeling self-care. Mm-hmm. because like if we're letting our bros drive home drunk letting them roll a dice on their own lives and it's just and I the
2: lives of other innocent people
1: totally you got to value your bros more than that you know oh yeah a designated driver so important especially because you can have such a great time without smashing brews oh so totally i think think the waitress is kind of into me
2: oh yeah what were you picking up on
1: oh, i don't know just something about like the way that she's sort of carried herself the way she like looked back at me and like just a smile and
2: i mean i i think the type of dynamic you're describing is kind of a societally expected role that women have to play in order to maintain service sector jobs and Her wage is right now really dependent on you seeing her as someone worth tipping. I think there's some patriarchal gender dynamics that are playing into what you're picking up on right now.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Like, she's at work and, like, she needs to be nice to everyone. So, like, if she was into me, like, I, I should really leave it to her. Like, if we're really hitting it off, then she can approach me.
2: Right. Because, you know, women in service sector jobs, you know, especially in sports bars like this, deal with on a daily basis men crossing boundaries and objectifying and sexualizing them unnecessarily. It can be really dehumanizing and degrading to deal with all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Well, bro, you've really like expanded my capacity for empathy in this conversation, bro. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Anytime, bro. I just want you to be the best bro you can be.
1: Hey excuse me um, excuse me can you move the nachos to my bill? They've just done some incredible emotional labor for me and I'm just gonna save the time instead of paypaling. Thank you Welcome back to Bro Corner. Now, Chad has done an incredible thing today out there on the field in this sports bar. Really impressive stuff. Let's break it down.
2: Such an experienced player. The way that he intervened in that moment to be a good bro to Christian was fantastic.
1: Now, Christian could have gotten defensive, but this was a masterful play by Chad. It really blew us all away here in the studio.
2: Oh, yeah, and there was so much chemistry on the field between the two of them. It's what made this play really work.
1: That chemistry is today's... Hashtag BroDown, brought to you by Bysworth brand, Respect Women Chocolate Porter. Now, this is a delicious chocolate porter to have with your bros while you watch the game. The chemistry they had, the back and forth.
2: Both of them really started this whole interaction with you know supportive attitudes and a, a desire to enrich the other person. It really set off the whole dynamic for the rest of this interaction
1: absolutely yeah starting with respecting your bros and working from there in a collaborative and positive way it just can't be beat it is the best strategy and it works And we can see it work in today's Instant Bro Replay brought to you by Spensworth brand bro chips. Now, they've got a new flavor they're extremely excited to share with everyone. It's called sea salt and positionality. Now, this chip is delicious. And and I'll tell you, it's actually got five grams of fat or less per serving. These chips aren't a guilty pleasure. They're a guilt-free pleasure for bros whoa bro you've really like expanded my capacity for empathy thank you so much incredible at the top of their game it's moments like this that got me into bro watching and bro analysis what a wonderful play what a wonderful sport obviously the server she was great on the field
2: It's really just thanks to her artful setup that this play was able to happen at all. That assists.
1: You know, this server, like all workers across the nation, deserves a living wage. And I think that's really a takeaway here is that we need to pay our servers better and we need to crack down on boundary violations in any workplace. But especially we have to respect women. Chocolate Porter, today's sponsor. Thank you
0: all right everyone it's been a lot of fun but all good things must come to an end and this is our final segment of brocheless against patriarchy bro theory with franz savor it while it lasts
1: i guess something that can come out of class reductionism and capitalism is like the downplaying of reproductive labor or like social labor the cyclical unpaid labor that holds society together. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, recognizing the centrality of reproductive labor in the reproduction of capitalism is a reason why a lot of historical leftist movements have not done so well you know, class-based movements that are very focused on the point of production and producing goods in this very mechanical sense, you're still looking at it within a capitalist framework, because that is the capitalist framework of, you know, you go to work, you get paid a wage, you produce a commodity for the market. And well, let's just like do that. But for our benefit, still ignores like the other oppressive systems that capitalism is built off of, which is all of this like unpaid labor, these existing social relationships that allow that type of production to exist. And so recognizing reproductive labor as inherently valuable and something that everyone should take part in is definitely a part of brochalism against patriarchy.
1: So this emancipatory vision that the brocialists against patriarchy mm-hmm. are, are promising us... <laughs> <laughs> Promising isn't the right word, but fighting for it. Mm-hmm. The, the, what's the end goal of brochalism against patriarchy? What's the society that the brochalists against patriarchy want to create?
2: Right. I mean, it's a free classless society where everyone has equal opportunity to participate in the political process and in the economic process and also has an irreducible minimum amount of care and resources that is available to them. You know, no one is left behind to starve or not have access to food. Everyone is liberated from these restrictive imposed categories of, you know, assigned gender or any particular role that you have to play. It's really, you know, a utopian vision that is premised on, you know, the destruction of class society and saying, no, it's not right that some people don't have the ability to participate in, you know, the political or economic process in a really like active sort of role.
1: What is praxis like what mm. what's the tactics
2: i think brochure lists against patriarchy should really be embedding ourselves within an a multitude of different leftist and emancipatory movements. You know, like there can be brocialists that are anarcho-syndicalists. There can be brocialists that are Marxists. There can be brocialists that are social ecologists. And it's all about like inserting kind of these new bro within existing leftist movements that have the potential to push society in these right directions and recognizing like the potential for these movements to as a whole, be like greater than the sum of their parts and really have the potential to radically alter society while also like constantly like introducing this, you know, this brochelist critique of the way the left often operates.
1: You know, I, I just see like a perfect yin and yang the brochelist <laughs> critique of the left and the feminist critique of patriarchy. They're yeah. just two great tastes that go great together. <laughs> So you run a Facebook group about this ideology. It's Mm -hmm. Brocialists Against Patriarchy. Yes. And we're going to run a campaign there uh, (laughs) to talk to the bros, Uh see what worked. set a night of the week, talk to some people, hit up some strangers. I think in particular, there's people who feel like they don't know what they can do to contribute to make the world a better place right? Um, and, and, and in particular uh, people who are coming from sort of demographics that are statistically privileged like if you're a tall handsome white guy this <laughs> actually might be the perfect mission for you is right. like to go down to the sports bars and then drip that sweet radicalism out <laughs> and just like And also, it's really going to help to know about sports. So if you don't already know about sports, maybe just refresh, like know what game's going to be on the TV that night Mm -hmm. and refresh on some basics. Maybe just like read a forum where people are talking about it and just steal some of their lines. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, Kapinski needs to work on is this, you know, and they're just like, you can sprinkle it in. Suddenly you're one of the guys. And then you're like, look at all the advertisements around there. You know, what does our game have to be so used by corporations to try to sell us razors. Right. Just drop some crumbs, see see what people are picking up on. Or like, you know, when you go there, the beers are so expensive, <laughs> you know, like right. sprinkle out these little tidbits mm-hmm. and then we're all going to report back in the group what worked, what didn't. And then we're going to strategize this as a continued political praxis to create the ripples in society that are needed, like the, the ripples in the pond <laughs> right, that yeah. uh, convert to perfect fully automated space brocialism against patriarchy oh
2: of course right and you know i don't think it has to be a sports bar necessarily it's going to depend on you know your context Mm -hmm. what your city's like you know it might be you know the the working class bar the cowboy bar like whatever but like whatever you identify as like the bros in your town just like become one of them for a while and like see what it's like And then see how you can positively influence that community towards the liberatory ends.
1: Yeah. And I think not everyone's going to want to be a bro. They Mm -hmm. they don't identify with that type of nourishing each other, Mm -hmm. you know, that type of like play and and fun. But, you know, everybody's got a thing. Right. And so like if you love knitting and you're sort of a quiet person, there's like knitting clubs. You can go radicalize the knitting clubs. I think that's brocialism. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I guess... There's like capital B bros, but then there's also like the everyday small bros, yeah. you know, like your coworkers on some level, like they're your bro, like right. small style, <laughs> like, and if, if they don't want to be called bro, then you definitely shouldn't, mm-hmm. but like. They can be just, a
2: bro ally.
1: Yeah, they can be a bro ally, <laughs> <laughs> but like in a taxonomical sense, like brodom.
2: Yeah, I definitely think we're trying to nourish an expansive conception of broness.
1: Well, yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome back to Wrongtown Sports Corner. I'm Dirk Dax and this is my co-host,
0: Aaron. Stunning game today on this podcast.
1: Seriously wrong podcast with friends who just it is shocking to see these Titans at the top of their game. Knockout after knockout, bringing it on the field.
0: I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Absolutely fantastic.
1: Let's go really quick to the hashtag EpicWin Instant Replay. Today brought to you by Cigarettes Generally. All Cigarettes, proud sponsor of this Instant Replay. Let's go to the clip.
2: You should be able to bro down with your women friends and your women bros. I think it has a lot to do with just widening the conception of humanity and viewing women fundamentally as as human beings in a complete sense and recognizing the experiences of other people that you can't personally have in order to like truly be the best bro you can be Hmm. so it's a bro to all and a bro to all that's what it is like how do you act in a way where you can be a bro to all (laughs)
1: Wow, that was incredible. You thought they might not make it, but then they did. Makes me want to take a huge drag
0: off this cigarette as a celebration of how great that clip was. You know, one of my other favorite moments from the show was just this perfect, beautiful play that Franz threw out there. Early on, there was the Idea that leftists aren't being a bro to all. And I was like, oh, that's a risky move. That's a
1: risky mm-hmm. maneuver to throw that idea out there. A broad negative statement about the left. There's going to be Ooh. some friendly fire there, yeah. friends. Look out. But then
0: she brings it all around in a masterful play and hits you with make the masses your problematic fave. And that just tied it all together. The house came crashing down. That was my favorite moment of the episode. Oh yeah, we
1: were literally screaming here in the studio when she dropped that. Literally screaming, shaking in our seats. Top of her game. Incredible, I needed three cigarettes to calm me down after that excitement. And who can sleep on the incredible hosting job from Sean
0: and Aaron? I gotta say, especially Sean this episode. He's the one who did the interview. He really brought it all home.
1: I want to acknowledge what you said is true. Sean did great this episode. I'm more of an Aaron guy myself, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, whether you're a Sean bro or an
0: Aaron bro, there's a lot of great stuff in this episode for both of y'all. And I think after this episode airs, there's going to be more than a few Franz bros out there, and I count myself among them.
1: Let us know when you're announcing your bid for president, Franz. We're behind you. And I think that's it for this week.
0: Yeah. So, uh, we we'll just pack up our center. stuff and just,
1: I just gather my papers. And uh, it's always awkward at the end of the day, were Yeah, it's like
0: you have all this energy going from the show, and then you got to kind of wind it down. Yeah. And so you know, sweep, cigarettes help, but sweep this up and. Uh, oh, it's nice you're helping sweep. Maybe I'll help the sound guys wrap some of these c- cables.
1: That's a good thing to do. Yeah. Be a bro to the crew that yeah. helps us. Yeah. Totally. Thank you for listening, everyone.
0: Next time on Seriously Wrong? Yeah, I don't really know. I just, I, it's late and I realized we didn't have a next time, and I found all these zombie sounds, and this song is also has zombie in the title of it. <laughs> Yeah, this will be the next episode.